0: I hope you can say this morning it's well with your soul and if it isn't right now it can be before you leave here uh, today. By the way that's one of my favorite hymns and if you don't know the backstory on that hymn you ought to google it or search it and read the backstory. The man who wrote that hymn wrote it uh, in the uh, middle of the ocean. He's on a particular spot. You see his wife and uh, his children had died in a shipping accident right there and he was crossing back over and when he got to that spot, he wrote that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, in spite of that great tragic uh, loss. And so uh, it'll give you a new perspective when you sing that song. And here's the, here's the great uh, truth for us. Everything else around us can be collapsing, but it can be well with our soul if we're in Christ. And that's the whole point of that. James is trying to help us, uh, help our souls, uh, live out the faith. We are in a series called... Uh, faith, just live it. And uh, today I want us to continue uh, in that. And uh, James is helping us understand how real faith intersects and affects how we live from day to day. You see, if you've got real faith, not some uh, real religion or pseudo uh, kind of faith, but if you've got real faith, it will manifest itself. And all through this book, that's what James, that's kind of an underlying theme that James is helping us understand, that if you've got the real thing It will be real in how you live. It will affect how you live. It will intersect all the areas of your life. And today, what I want us to do is look at just two verses uh, which deal with whether our faith is legitimate or phony, whether it is powerful or pointless or pitiful, you might even say. Now, today, you look on your outline, and you'll see two major points. Uh, I'm only going to do this is a two-part message. I'm only going to talk about point number one, And so, uh, if I get into this a little bit later on, you say he's never going to get to that second point. Well, I'm not. And so, you just know that uh, up front. But uh, the fact is that everyone who calls themselves a Christian is not, right? We talked about recently how many folks uh, say that they believe the Bible is the Word of God. And our statistics tell us how many people say that they are Christians, and it's an incredible number. But not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is a Christian. And James addresses that in a lot of different ways in his message in this book. And by the way, not every church that calls itself a church is a church. And uh, there are a lot of uh, uh, groups that have organized and called themselves. Some years ago, there was a group, this actually happened. There was a group that organized and they called themselves the Church of Monday Night Football. And they organized and uh, as a tax-free organization, and they met, met on Monday nights, and they had a big screen, and well, they had other um, beverages to help them celebrate, and they, uh, they had little rituals that they went through, and uh, uh, organized as the church of Monday night football. Uh, there's a word for that, um, stupid, uh, but... At any rate, I don't think it lasted. It didn't. They didn't reach a lot of people. But the fact is, not every church that calls itself a church is a church. There are many fakes. There are many phonies. And James distinguishes how we can recognize those who say they are followers of Christ from those who really are. In other words, how we can find the fakers, how we can, how we can determine the pretenders from the contenders, you might say. And uh, so he helps us with that. And we need that today because we really need to, to know how to live our faith. These are serious times. Would you agree with that? These are serious times we're living in. We're witnessing, I think, the absolute collapse of sanity in our world. Um, wokeism. You know, we never used that word until, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Woke, we never understood what wokeism is. And Now today it's everywhere, and we're being told you need to be woke. Now the Bible tells us to wake up. The Bible tells us to wake up, but not to woke up. And there are some churches that are even trying to be woke. But uh, Jesus told the church at Sardis, it said, Wake up and strengthen the things that remain. I believe the call today is not to wokeism; is to wake up to be awake, to realize the seriousness of the times. This stuff is crazy. It's infiltrated everything. It's infiltrated our restrooms. You see it on commercials. It's even in our mental health issues. I recently, this past week, as I was working on this message, read about uh, an article on otherkins. Otherkins. Have you all heard that term? It is a group of people... It's a group of people who identifies animals, otherkins, lions, tigers, bears, oh my. And here's how they explained it, and I quote this is their explanation. Otherkin isn't mental illness. That's their first statement. (laughs) Why would they even have to tell us if it's not mental illness, right? We're not mentally ill, we're just nuts. But that's how they start off. Otherkin isn't a mental illness. Rather, a freedom of expression. Many otherkins admire certain aspects of their kin type. That means the animal they feel akin to. And seek to develop their own characteristics to mirror them. By the way, when you give up a biological definition for what a human is, then you can define yourself any way you want. And that's what we see happening. These are serious times. You know, we hear people now, just in the past uh, a few months, uh, there are people now saying, I need to carry my emotional support animal on a plane with me. One man recently argued that he needed to be allowed to carry on board his flight his emotional support peacock. And they showed a picture of him arguing in the airport, and the peacock is gigantic. And he wanted just to carry it on with him. I get, how would you like to have, well, the peacock, peacock it all around you while you're on the plane. <laughs> Another man argued that he should be allowed to bring his emotional support monkeys on board the plane. And still another argued for emotional support ducks. And even one passenger wanted to bring on his seven emotional support snakes. Now, I about had my fill of snakes. We've lost our minds, people. And to even treat this stuff as serious shows a lapse of mental judgment. These are serious times. Um, We just celebrated the anniversary of 9-11. Do you know on the day before 9-11, on 9-10, the former president of Russia, Dmitry Medvedev, who is now the deputy chairman of Russia's Security Council and a close ally, of Vladimir Putin, on September the 10th, the day before 9-11, he said this, America needs to get ready for another attack on the scale of 9-11. But this time it's going to be nuclear. He stopped short of saying Russia would be involved. But that's what he predicted or he threatened with these are serious times aren't they these are serious times we're seeing the dismantling of moral boundaries I think about the last uh, statement in the book of judges that uh, in that day everyone did what was right in their own eyes not in the eyes of God these are serious times lawlessness has increased on an unprecedented scale and that makes sense, doesn't it? Because do you know what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12? He said, lawlessness will be increased in the last days. Lawlessness, is, we've never seen it like this, have we? It has it increased so much so that even those who just a couple of years ago advocated for the complete dismantling of law enforcement are themselves now being victimized by crime and the lack of law enforcement, and are now pleading for protection themselves. These are serious times. We've opened up our boundaries to such an extent that the influx of people coming in illegally in our country now is like the invasion from other countries. By the way, let me just add a footnote. When a nation gives up its boundaries... It is no longer a nation. Boundaries are what determine nations. And um, and it's like an invasion from other countries now. And now, even liberal political leaders who were previously allowed and screaming for unrestricted freedom across our borders are now screaming, Washington, you got to do something. These are serious times. And I have to tell you, I'm convinced that we're headed toward one of three things. I believe we're headed either for ruin as a nation and a civilization as we've always known it. It may be people, and y'all have heard me say this for a long time, but I just reinforce it, it may be the reason you don't find American Bible prophecy. It may be that we're headed for ruin, at least as a civilization all civilizations die at some point historically they all have the best half you may be seeing the bricks and the foundation crumbling we may be headed to that or we might be headed to the return of Christ now that's not a bad option come Lord Jesus you know that's not a bad option keep your eyes up your redemption draws nigh that I think that's the best of all options or it may be we're headed for a revival. I'm praying for that. I believe that could be next. We've seen dark times in history and God has moved and he's brought revival. So we may be headed, but I'm convinced we're headed toward one, one of those, ruin or, or the return or revival. I think one of those are in our, our future. And uh, so you say, well, why have you told us all, all of this? I've told you this to say... Because this is all true and we're watching this, it means that living our faith is all the more important right now. It means being people of real faith, powerful faith, which I'll talk about next week, is so important. Because we need to be able to have the ability to stand on that which is true when all the things around us are passing away. James gives us a couple of verses that I want us to focus on about how we demonstrate real faith. Would you stand with me if you're physically able to do so and let's read these two verses in James chapter 1 verses 26 and 27. We'll focus primarily today on verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious... And that's an important statement. If anyone thinks he is religious, I'll come back to that. And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is, do you see it, class? It's worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this so to visit uh, orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Lord, would you open our eyes and hearts? And Father, we don't want to be woke, we want to be awake. And let us be awakened to, Father, who you are and who you've called us to be and how we can be those very people, Father, in serious times. Now, Lord, would you take my words, I give them to you. Would you take my thoughts, I give them to you. Father, I give you the study that's gone into this message, Father. I give all of that. I give myself to you this morning. Would you speak, speak through me, speak through your word with your Holy Spirit, speak into our lives In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, in the previous passage, uh, James talked about self-deception. You remember that? We talked about that last week when he he talks about uh, the person that looks at themselves uh, um, in the mirror and walks away and is not changed. It's like a person that reads the Word but does nothing about it, and he says that person has deceived themselves. Well, he comes back to this idea of, of self-deception. He says deceives us already. He comes back to this idea. He returns to this idea of being self-deceived and, and, and holding some faulty assurance. This is his point. They have some faulty assurance that, that, that they're all right with God. Why? Because they've deceived themselves through, through their religious ideas. And so I think I, I, everything's good with me and God. And in verses 26 and 27, James gives us two very distinct and direct points. And by the way, it's one of the things I love about James in this letter is it isn't hard to understand what he's saying. It, it's, it, it's not difficult. The message is not difficult. But receiving it is vital to our spiritual health and well-being. In other words, if we don't understand what he's saying, we'll just be one more of those persons who have deceived themselves into believing something that is disastrous and destructive spiritually to our spiritual condition. So I want to show you today the first point. Again, we'll come to the second one next week, but the first point today, let me show you what he talks about. He begins by talking about a pointless faith. Verse 26, uh, six, he, he says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, uh, but deceives his heart, his, his religion is worthless or pointless. You know, one of the chief characteristics of self-deception in life is that people can make an empty show of religious devotion. It is one of the chief characteristics of self-deception is that a person can just do religious motions as if those religious motions reveal the truth about who they really are. The Puritan colonists, when they settled in New England in the 1630s, had a nagging concern about the churches that they were building. How would they ensure that their clergymen would be literate? That was one of their concerns. And how could they educate them. And so their answer was to construct Harvard University. Harvard University, if you don't know anything about it, and they would not tell you this today, was a school that was established for the sole purpose of educating men to enter the ministry And the adopted motto of Harvard University was truth for Christ and the church. Again, they'll never tell you that today. And it was named after, you know who Harvard was named after? It was named after John Harvard. He was a much-loved pastor who preached the Word of God. And they named a the school after him because it was designed to, to educate young men for ministry. Do you know it was 70 years after the founding of Harvard before they had their first president who wasn't a pastor? And if I'm correct, it wasn't until the early, uh, late 1800s or early 1900s before... They had someone in the teaching part of the school that wasn't at least an ordained clergy. But roughly four centuries later, Harvard's organization of chaplains, back in 2021, elected its next president, Greg Epstein. 2021, this is about 400 years later, they, the head chaplain for all their chaplains was selected you say well I guess they did that a lot yes they did through the years but what makes his election so unusual is because he's an atheist Harvard founded to train ministers of the gospel 400 years later elected as the head of their chaplains an atheist a man who doesn't even believe in God And he said this, he said, well, there's a rising group of people who no longer identify with any religious tradition, but still experience a real need for a conversation and support around what it means to be a good human and live an ethical life. He's been Harvard chaplain some years now, actually, um, the report came out in 2021, I should correct my dates, but he's been the chaplain for some years now and his whole emphasis on people's relationship with one another instead of their relationship with God. And he said this, and I quote, he said, we don't look to God for answers, we are each other's answers. This is the head of the chaplain. There's something insane about that, isn't there? That a man would be chaplain, by title a chaplain means a representative of God. And by title, he is the antithesis of a representative of God. It's a show of nothing but religious activity without any connection to God. And it's pointless. Now, why is this pointless? Why is James talking about this kind of pointless religious activity? By the way, if I didn't believe the Bible... And if I hadn't trusted in Christ as my personal Savior and watched what He did in my life, if I didn't believe the Bible, and I, I, I hear these guys on some of these documentaries from time to time who, who undermine the Scripture and undermine what it means to follow God and say, well, one way is as good as another. I tell you, I'd get out. I'd leave. And James is talking about this kind of superficial Faith. You know, we hear this idea, it would be expressed much like probably in this atheistic chaplain, it would be expressed much like, well, uh, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. Like belief in belief is somehow the cure. We Every time some tragedy happens, we're told to, to pray, but we're told never to pray otherwise remember prayer is a bad thing but when some tragedy strikes we're told what let's everybody pray everybody pray pray to who it doesn't matter just pray as if prayer itself without the object matters it's religious showmanship it's religious uh, religiosity but it's pointless it's superficial it's powerless I've heard people say this. Well, you know, um, following God is a uh, uh, is, is blind faith. It actually isn't blind faith at all. It has an object. God is the object. When you just say pray to anything and about anything without an object, that's blind. That's an expression of blind religion. James is talking about this kind of pseudo-religion, this kind of pointless religion, this kind of worthless religion, this kind of superficial religion, and what he's saying is, and he continues, and we'll look at it later in other chapters, he continues to talk about how ineffective and pointless and useless it is. But why is it pointless? Well, he gives us three reasons, and that's, that's what I want to share with you today. Uh, In the rest of this uh, message the first is you'll see a on your outline it is pointless because it has a false perception did you notice the phrase there he starts off he says if anyone thinks circle that word thinks if anyone thinks this means literally to that presumes to be true if anyone presumes this is true you see he was dealing with people who had a false perception of themselves as to the reality of their faith and how that faith was expressed, they presumed that they were were okay with God. They, They had a false perception of their faith. They had a false perception of their religious practice and what that meant. They were convinced by their own reasoning rather than by the Word of God. In other words, they had convinced themselves... And by the way, in so doing, they had deceived their hearts into the belief that they were right with God. Does that make sense? They convinced themselves, well, I, I, you know, I have these religious activities I, I'm engaged in. I have these religious rituals that I, I go through, and so I'm okay with God because I've got some friends who do that, and they tell me the same thing. And so they had convinced themselves that they were right with God. And James is saying, you've got a faulty perception of yourself. Jesus dealt with this in Matthew chapter 7. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You know, James is addressing what Jesus had already talked about, isn't he? Jesus had said that there's coming a day, and he's talking about, he's referencing that, that day of judgment when we are brought before uh, the Lord, and he said, What's going to happen is there are going to be people. He's, Jesus is trying to help us understand the seriousness of not having a superficial faith, just like James. And did you notice in that passage, you, did you notice a couple of things? that the, they, they made their appeal based on their works and they had done religious works and by the way there's nothing nothing wrong with healing sick people there's nothing wrong with casting out demons there's nothing wrong with those things at all but that's what they made their appeal on did you get that so they they Jesus said they're going to stand before him said but Jesus remember I was a traveling evangelist Jesus I remember in your name we we can. now <clears throat> Uh, The second thing you need to understand is not only did they appeal on the basis of their works, their works were effective, evidently, because Jesus didn't say, no, you didn't heal people. He didn't say, no, there were no demons cast out. So how does that work? It was the name of Jesus that did the work. They used the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus the name of Jesus, and they, even a religious person using the name of Jesus, Jesus honored his name, God honored the name of his son, he didn't honor the works of these superficial servants, so if you wonder, well, how could they do it if they weren't right with God, that's how they did it, It it's the name of Jesus, now, so they make their appeal on the basis of their works, and Paul tells us that none of us, uh, listen, it's for by grace you are saved, not of works. And uh, so, But they made their appeal, but Jesus, how can you not receive us? Because look, what, look at the religious activity we've been engaged in. Now, I think this is a sobering thing for the church. Billy Graham years ago said this on one occasion. He said, perhaps as much as 60 plus percent of today's church attenders are not actually saved. Wow. They may be religious, but they've never trusted Christ. And listen, I want to appeal to you in this place today. If in your heart you say, I've never really trusted Christ. I've just been counting on, you know, being active. And I, look, I want you active. But don't believe that that is the secret to the kingdom. They made their appeal based on, word. Well, look what we've done we served in the preschool. By the way, we need you to serve in the preschool. We got a bunch of young people away on retreat. We, and they've got workers. We need the workers. We, we need all of that. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, though, you can do all of that and not be saved. We, but, Lord, look what we did. And, by the way, they knew the right language to use. Did you notice that? Lord. They called him Lord. Lord, we, uh, we, and we used your name, Jesus, in the name of Jesus. They did these things. You see, you you can have the right motions, but not have the right relationship. They had a false perception about themselves. Why do I say that to you? Look, because these are serious times. Are we headed to ruin? Are we headed to the return? Are we headed to revival? God will make that call. But whatever the call is, make sure you're right with God. And don't count on just religious activity. That be the key. This is what G- uh, James is trying to help us with. It's, what Jesus, it's why he calls out the pretense and the false perception. It was too late, Jesus says, for those who will stand before him. Uh, one day and make that appeal on the basis of their works. Make that appeal and on the basis of we use your name. That Jesus. For them, Jesus said, depart from me. And they were cast out. Uh, l- listen, <clears throat> it was too late. Jesus said, it'll be too late for them. But here, why is James telling us? Because it's not too late for us. And if that's you and you're watching today on television or live stream or you're listening to us on radio This morning, I just want to appeal to you. Make sure that you're not counting on some superficial religious activity that has deceived your heart into believing that you are right with God. Because you don't want to know what's worse than going to hell. Going to hell all the while thinking you're going to heaven. There's a second thing about pointless faith that James wants us to understand. Not only does it have a false perception, it also has a false power. Did you notice this phrase, he does not bridle his tongue? That means he doesn't have the power to restrain his mouth or her words. It's an indicator, he says, of a superficial, pointless, worthless faith can't control the tongue It doesn't have the power i heard about a woman who was a great church worker or at least she thought she was and told everybody she was but she was one of those loose tongue women and she decided to impress her pastor and so at the invitation time she came down and She said, Pastor, she said, I want to lay my tongue on the altar. And the pastor looked at her for a moment and said, Well, sister, it's only 25 feet long, but you can try. (laughs) Well, James is talking about what your mouth reflects. And your mouth can be a reflection of a superficial, pointless, worthless faith. James has more to say about the tongue, as I said, and we'll look at that down the road, but right now his message is that an unrestrained, a a tongue that has no spiritual power to restrain it undermines your faith before the world. It's very practical. James is saying if you're saved, if you're born again, if your faith is real, it's going to show up, Listen in the way you talk. The Spirit of God is the restrainer of your tongue. And if you are not under the control or the influence or the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be powerless to control your tongue. Look over, just a sneak peek at what's to come. Look over at chapter 3 and verse 8. James writes, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. No human being, see you can't control it. You 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 don't have the power. But your faith is worthless if it's not illustrated in a tongue that's under the control of the power of the Spirit of God, because you just don't have the power to control it apart from God. If you do not know God, if you haven't been born again, then guess what? Your tongue can't be restrained. That's No human can control it. No human can, but God can. I read about an English tourist attraction where they had to scramble after one of their exhibits became less than family-friendly. It was the Lincolnshire Wildlife Park, and they were forced to remove five of their newly adopted parrots after the birds were discovered (laughs) cussing at the park guest. They didn't know for sure how it happened, but they had a theory. You see, the five parrots had been quarantined together. They'd come out of an environment with some very nasty vocabulary. Apparently, the park staff found it amusing at first, but that only encouraged the parrots to say more obscenities. The CEO of the park, Steve Nichols, explained it this way. He said, for the past 25 years, we have always taken in parrots that have sometimes had a bit of blue language. And we've really gotten used to it. But just by coincidence, we took in five in the same week. And because they were all quarantined together, it meant that one room was just full of cussing birds. (laughs) And the more they swore the more you usually laugh. And the laughter then triggers the birds to cuss more. But when you get four or five of them together that have learned the cussing and the laughing so that when one of them swears, the other parrots laugh at that one. And before you know it, he says, you just... (laughs) It just got to be like an old working men's club scenario where they're all just cussing and laughing together. Well, these birds had been influenced, no pun intended, by foul-mouthed people. (laughs) But they were also influencing one another. They weren't just influenced by the people they had heard. Now they began to influence each other. So, so they, were, they were exacerbating the problem just by being with each other. I want to ask you, what influences your tongue? Who are you influencing with yours? Your kids? Your friends? Your colleagues? You see, your tongue is going to be under the influence of either the power of the Holy Spirit or the power... Of the influences around you. Jesus said that your tongue reflects what's going on in here. You listen to a person long enough, you, when, outside of church, Christians learn or people that are religious learn Christianese. You know, it's a language you speak. Brothers and sisters, you know, um, have you been born again? Uh, We learn the language, the lingo. The question is, what is your lingo like when you go out of this building? When you're at work and people around you are are foul-mouthed or perverse, do you laugh and join in? Does your mouth reflect the same? Because I want to tell you something. When you affirm it by joining in with it, guess what you do? you tell them you don't have anything that's much different than what they've got. One of the early Supreme Court justices said this, I would have become a Christian, but I knew too many. Oliver Wendell Holmes. I would have become a Christian, but I knew too many. You see, if the Spirit of God... Is real, then you'll have the power of God to control your tongue. I didn't say you'll never mess up with your tongue. But your tongue will be a reflection of what's really inside of you. And that's what James is trying to help us understand: that a superficial or a pointless or worthless face, it has no power, and that's why its tongue is out of control. But there's a last thing I want to show you this morning, and that is. A third thing about a pointless faith, and that is it has a false product. It has a false product. It has a false power. But it has a false product too. James says that a religion that isn't real is worthless, that it adds nothing to your relationship with God, and it demonstrates nothing about God to others. It may have plenty of religious motions But it is an exercise in futility. You see, a worthless religion can't do anything for you or do anyone else any good. It only produces a product that is useless. Now, a lot of people today, you know, I started off, I told you, this is serious, where we are as a nation, where we are as a a, a world, where, where we are, all this serious stuff. A lot of people think that the solution for America is more religion. That's not the case. Remember, because most Americans still claim to be religious. So how's that working out for us? A lot of people think the solution is just more religion. I've heard people say this to me. Well, I don't. I tried religion and it didn't work. I get that. Because religion without Christ doesn't work. I get that. And, uh, <clears throat> but Christianity is not just one more religion. Christianity is about this relationship, the relationship with Christ. Some years ago, before I was your pastor, I, I'd been leading a meeting out in Oakland, California and, uh, for several days, and I, was, I got on a plane to, to fly back to Atlanta, where we lived, and uh, uh, so I sat down next to a gentleman, and uh, after a few moments, I, we began just some chit-chat, and I asked him what what was the reason that he had been in Oakland, California, and he told me it was on on business. He'd been there taking care of some business. And, uh, and then in, in a bit, he said, so what were you there for? I said, well, I, I told him that this is what I love to introduce Christ to people with. I said, well, I said, I have the greatest job in the world. He said, what is that? I said, I get to travel around the country telling people about Jesus. And he, when I said that, he said, oh, he said, I've tried that stuff. He said, I tried religion. He said, and I don't want to even talk about it. And he said, because, he said, I I just don't, I don't care about it. I don't care. I I don't want to talk about it anymore. And my response back to him was, I said, me too. I said, I am not into religion. And he said, really? He said, I thought you just said, you've been out. I said, yeah, but it wasn't about religion. I said, I'm glad years ago I learned the difference between religion about God and a relationship with God and I said I put my trust in Jesus Christ and that changed everything and um, as a result of that we talked almost the whole trip back from Oakland to Atlanta we talked about about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. He didn't trust Christ. I, I, toward the end, I said, have you, ever, have you ever established a relationship? Not religion, but a relationship with Jesus. No, I, I haven't. He said, but that sounds different. And I said, well, I could help you do that. He said, I'm not, I don't think I'm there yet. But he said, he got up to get his overhead bag out of the compartment, and he was pulling it down. I, I had left him a tract. I said, well, take this. This kind of talks about what i talked to you about. And you could later on, you, if you wanted to give your life to Christ, you could do that. And, and he pulled his bag down and he turned, you know, everybody's in the aisle and everything. And I just remained seated uh, for a moment, but he turned back before he started moving. He said, he said, thank you. He said, nobody's ever explained it like that. See, there are a lot of people today that have confused religion with relationship. Oh, yeah, I've gone to church all my life. Now, look, I, I'm I'm a pastor, I want you going to church. Don't anybody walk out of here and say, well, boy, he solved something for me. Uh, I won't be back in church. No, you get back in church, even if you're lost, you come to church because this is where you just might get saved. You see, and besides, you need it. You're not as good as you think you are. But I want you to understand... It's not religion that's going to get you into the kingdom of God. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We're in a religious age. As hostile as the age is becoming toward Christianity, it's not hostile toward religion. It welcomes religion. It's hostile toward Jesus. It's hostile toward toward Christianity why because we say you can't just belong to religion and be okay we say what Jesus said and that is that is you can only get to God in Christ only people say that's so exclusive yes it is exclusive but it's open to all whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved the path there are two paths one is broadway it leads to destruction it's a religious path remember the pharisees and remember they were on a broad path and they thought they had it figured out if anybody practiced religious activity more than them uh, we would not know who it is but jesus said they were whitewashed tombs they look good on the outside why because they went through all the proper motions but on the inside, they were like a tomb. They were empty because there was, God wasn't with them. God wasn't in them. And I'm afraid today that there are a lot of folks who have confused that. But what I want to close with and what I want to tell you is that he loves you. Jesus loves you. And he wants you to have power to live. And that power is not religion. That power is found in relationships. We don't need more religion in America. What America needs is to turn to Jesus Christ. You know what the worst thing about a pointless faith is? It's that most people that have it don't even know it. And James says that their hearts are deceived. They're religious, but they're lost. They're sitting in churches, and many are involved in church activities. Many will do those kinds of things until the day that they die and go to hell. Did you know the devil doesn't mind you being religious? As long as you don't meet Jesus. In fact, the devil is perfectly fine to bring you right to hell from a church seat. He's fine with that. So, have you been born again? Is your faith real faith or is it just worthless religion? Religion or relationship? Yeah, there are serious times. But they're not going to be fixed with religion. But they can be changed one by one as we turn to Christ. You know, we're hearing about pockets of God moving around the country. And you know what's happening? It's happening on college campuses. Praise God for that. Most moves of God in in history have happened first with students. Did y'all know that? We're seeing it pop up. I just heard about one that happened at Auburn uh, a week ago. And hundreds of students, it's a remarkable story, recognize their need for Christ we're hearing this in campus. Samford, uh, it happened at Samford not too terribly long ago. You heard about Osbury, Asbury and uh, other places these around the country where these student revivals are happening. Lord, bring them to our communities. Bring them inside our churches, Lord. But the fact is, religion isn't going to make it happen. It's going to happen one by one. As we turn to Christ. You know, I grew up listening to Andre Crouch. And he had this great song called, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. He's right. Jesus is the answer. He's the answer for your life. Jesus is the answer for a confused culture. Jesus is the answer for the abundant life. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And Jesus is the answer for your eternity. Do you know him? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one looking about in this place. Maybe those of you who are listening uh, by radio or watching t- television, live stream, maybe today you say, you know what, I, I'm not sure I know him. How can I change that? In this auditorium or by those other mediums, here's what you do right now. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved you call upon him in your heart sincerely say this Lord Jesus I don't want to be a pretender I want to be a contender I want Jesus to be my savior I want you to come into my life I know you love me I know you died for me I know all of that I've been in church all my life maybe that's your testimony but you're not certain if you died today you'd go to heaven you're not certain you have real faith and you want to say, I want to walk out of here. No more doubts. I hate these doubts. No more doubting. No more religious games. God, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Save me. Be my Savior. Begin transforming me. Give me that new power, that indwelling spirit power that demonstrates through lots of things, but my tongue in particular. All of these things, God, demonstrate by changing transforming me. I believe your word. I call on you. Now, Lord, would you hear? Would you hear that prayer? I know you do. You've already told us you would. And then, Lord, for others in this place, say, no, I know I've called on him, but man, I haven't been walking in that power. I've been walking in religious power, and it just isn't working. It's not helping me, and I've forgotten to to trust in the Spirit of God, to empower me, walking by the Spirit so I will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And so today, Father, would you you become Lord of my life again, not just Savior of my life. Would you be Lord of my life and reflected through who I am each day walking with you? Now, Lord, thank you for the power that's available in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation? Be here at the front. Staff are on the sides. I want to invite you to slip out. There's a decision for you to make perhaps. Maybe, to, maybe you prayed that prayer to trust Christ this morning. And by the way, if you're watching on television or live stream, you'll see instructions on what you can do to follow up with that. Or if you'd like to become a part of our family, all of that is there, and so you just follow those instructions. But here in this live audience today, I invite you to slip out and and come forward and make your decision known today. I called on Him. I've been doubting. I've been struggling, but today I settled that issue. Uh, You come today. I called on Him to be my Savior. No more religion. I want relationship. Maybe you're here today and say, you know what I need? I have all of that. I just need a family to belong to. And I want to join Ridgecrest. You come. I want to come and pray at this altar. Whatever the case, now is that moment. This is the moment of decision. Don't miss it. Are you ready? Are you ready? You come on.